Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler, talking money and investing. So we talk about the news of the day, changes that are taking place in the world of financial planning, as there are always things coming out, and helping you understand this stuff, because if you don't understand this stuff, you are at the mercy of those that do understand it that might be trying to sell you something you don't need, or you shouldn't be doing. That's my take on it, and um, that's just not going to change. Having come from the side of the business that actually was uh, all about sales, I can tell you uh, I, I saw too much of it. So anyway, uh, there was a question that actually came in. And if you have a question, you can always send it to us. PaulWinkler.com forward slash question is one way. Or you can go to the website and you can go to the section on the radio show and then you can ask a question right there on the website. PaulWinkler.com. It's under podcast I think is it's under that area right there and you can always subscribe to the podcast too that's always a good thing because uh, and we super super appreciate that um, and uh, you know just love having people uh, just have access to all of this information really really quickly at their fingertips and and then of course then it comes in and you say oh that topic happens to be something I'm really interested in and that way you get to see the topics and you look at the ones that are really super interesting to you and, and download those and check them out. Uh, so anyway, the one question that actually came in and the question was regarding uh, this, uh, let's say we're talking about Roth IRAs. You've got pre-tax accounts, you know, traditional IRAs, and then those are pre-tax accounts. So when you put money in, you get a tax deduction. And then later on, when you are retired, you start taking the income out. And the whole time that it, it was in there, it grows tax deferred. You don't have to pay taxes on the gains inside of the account. And that's a pretty big deal. Then when you get to retirement, then you can go and pull this money out and then you pay taxes on it at that particular time. And then you got the Roth IRA where you pay taxes on it. Then the money goes into an account. Then it grows tax deferred, don't have to pay in taxes on the gains. Uh, hopefully you got gains, right? You know. <laughs> and then what happens is uh, it's not necessarily a given based on the way some people invest, uh, but then you pull money out and it's tax-free in retirement. So the, the thing that is talked about a lot is converting those pre-tax IRAs to Roth IRAs. So paying taxes on it and then putting it in the Roth so it doesn't get taxed again at all into the future and that was the question uh 67 year old uh person guy uh with no roth ira account and will make more starting this tax year than he made when he was working he retired mid last year had wages so you know had some wages from work and then social security and then state pension so there'll be three sources of income you know, work for part of the year and then Social Security and then the state pension. And he's going to just have Social Security and pension this year. 
because uh, wages are not working anymore. Uh, should start should I start Roth conversions this year? Or uh, so you think I need to convert at all? And that's that's the question. Okay, so that's a it's a really good question. There's a lot of different things that you walk through in this, and it's helpful to understand how these tax consequences occur. So you got to work from wages. Uh, it doesn't say whether it's married or single. Uh, and you know, let's say that a person's married, you have a standard deduction, so much income that you can earn, uh, just shy of $30,000, and then you don't have to pay any taxes on that. And then you have income uh, approximately about $20,000 uh, that is going to be taxed at 10% rate and then something like 60, I'm rounding on everything, that is going to be taxed at a 12% rate. Then you go to 22 and then 24 and so on and so forth. So what happens when you're working, you take that and that's all income that is counted for income tax purposes. You're going to be looking at some of it not being taxed at all because of the standard deduction. Uh, and you know, depending on how much income it was, some at the 10% rate, maybe some at 12% rate, some at 22 if, if it were that high. Uh, for a lot of people, you're not going to be up in that 22% tax bracket. But what happens when you have a year where you are retired and you've got that a little bit of income from wages, and then you got Social Security and you got your pension, you know, what happens is you take your income from work and then you take the income from the pension. And those two incomes, those two incomes, you take those together and then you look at how that plus half of your Social Security. You take half of what your Social Security payment is, and then you add it to that, and that's where you start to apply the thresholds. And there are two of them to be aware of, 32000 and 44000 So if it's above, those numbers come up above 32000 which is pretty easy probably if you got work income plus pension income, and then you got you know half of your Social Security. Then you could have half of your Social Security actually added to your taxable income. So then what would happen is they would take the work income, pension income, and then 50% of that social security, add those all together. Then you look at where you fall as far as what is called marginal tax rate or what bracket are you in? Are you in a 10? You're probably 12, uh, maybe even 22 at that point based on all three of those sources. Then you go, well, if I do a Roth conversion, now I got to pay tax at that level. You know, the, what my last dollar is taxed at. So if I, you know, if I have some income at zero, some at 10, some at 12, some at, and then I guess a little teeny bit of income being taxed at 22%, and now I do a conversion, then I have a bunch more income taxed at 22%. You know, so that, and then even, I might even drive myself, depending on how much I convert, up into I'll have some income at, taxed at 22 and some at 24. And then it'll go up and it's as high as 37%. So you, you look at that and it goes, okay, so what tax am I paying on that conversion? That's the first thing that I think about. Let's say it's just 22 just to keep, you know, keep this fairly simple or simpler. Then, then what you look at is, okay, now if it's if those three numbers, income, pension income, plus half of Social Security exceed 44000 now you got up to 85% of that Social Security subject to tax. So you got to look at the income from work, plus the income from pension, plus 85% of Social Security up to, and then that tells us what my taxable income is. Now, when I look at that taxable income, I got to go, okay, I got X amount of taxable income. I have approximately 33,000 30, of that is taxed at zero. 
another 20 approximately taxed at 10 and then whatever above that is taxed at 12 and if it goes into 22 then you know you got you, know, you got some of the, some more taxation on that you have, you have some at 0 some at 10 some at 12 some at 22 and then maybe you know if it's really higher and you know might up get to 24 or even higher so then you look at that and you go well if i convert now now I do a conversion. Now I might be at some some at 22, and I just look at how much is going to be taxed. And sometimes, a lot of times, you can use software to do this because it's really it can get a little bit complex. But it's not too bad. I mean, you take a look at the taxable income, then you go to a tax table and say, you know, am I filing and am I doing a standard deduction? Then you go, okay, so that's how much is at zero. And then if I, how much of my income is at 10? How much of it is it at 12? And then you look at the tax rates and you can start to look at those numbers and determine if you do a conversion, if it's going to actually trigger that, you know, so, or what, what tax rate will it trigger? Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Where it gets a little bit tricky is that what are we going to do with tax rates in a couple of years when the tax cuts expire? Now, this is something I talked about last week where I was discussing how politically right now it is really hard. Politicians are having a hard time campaigning on the idea that they are going to let the tax cuts expire because it not only affects upper income people, it also affects lower income people. And technically, you can even look at it and go, it might even affect lower income people proportionately more. You know, simply just because of the um, the small amount of change that you have in the upper, the very top tax bracket that would occur for wealthy people versus you know, proportionately a higher increase for lower income tax people. Some people would be really harmed by that. So politically, it may not be palatable to actually have those tax cuts expire. So if they don't expire and we have the current lower tax rates, 10, 12, 22, 24. That's versus 15 and 25, because that's that's what it goes back to. And so you can see where that's pretty big jump for people. You know, you don't have 10 and 12 anymore, you got 15, bam. And then you don't have the, uh, the, the 22 and 24, it's bam, 25. If you look at that and you go, okay, if that doesn't expire, then, we would look at what would be the likelihood or how much will my account likely grow up to the point where I have to take distributions, required minimum distributions. And now the ages for RMDs, required minimum distributions, if you're born in the 1950s, that age is 73. If you're born in the 1960s or after, that's age is 75. So you got to be aware of that. And then you got to think, okay, how much is it going to be that I'm going to be pulling out? And what is the taxation on this? General thought process, general thought processes. This is just, you know, this is, don't try this trick at home. It, it Really, we use pretty sophisticated software because I'm going to tell you there are even more variables. Uh, but general, in general, what happens is that if my current tax rate that I'm going to be paying on this money is likely lower than what the rate will be in the future than the conversions made sense. If it is higher now and likely to be lower in the future, then the conversions did not make sense. Now, what are some of the other wild cards out there? Some of the other wild cards are IRMA, 
you know, the taxation, uh, which is in kind of an indirect form in that you pay higher premiums on Medicare in the future if your income is higher. Uh, let's say you're one of these people that, you know, you're on the borderline with Social Security being taxed. That can be another thing. So it's just, it's, I love the question, but it is complicated. And I wish it weren't so complicated, but it is complicated. So that's why, you know, when, when we look at software programs uh, and, and when we use them in planning, it literally tells us this is the amount that we ought to convert, you know, based on the tax code the way it is right now. And like I said, that could change. You could have changes, in, and we will look at it based on the tax code staying the way it is right now. We'll look at it based on reverting to the old tax rates. Uh, and we look at these different scenarios as to what is likely to be the better way of handling this particular decision. But that is how it's done. You're looking at all of these different variables, and there's so many different variables that it's really complex, and it's hard to just give people a knee-jerk answer. Um, and, you know, when you hear somebody say it's always better to do it this way and you just realize that is a person that is not doing much analysis, uh, uh, rules of thumb are really, really bad in finance. But that is in general. And here's the other thing. Philosophically, let me just talk about this for just a quick second. Uh, one of the things that I often talk about regarding Roth IRA conversions and that idea is that. There is a big push right now for Roth IRA conversions because you pay taxes right now. The government gets money right now, and they're really strapped. They need money right now. They don't like waiting. And the question is, will there be a total tax law change down the road where they lower marginal rates to some extent in exchange for a national sales tax or some kind of a consumption tax? Entirely possible. You know, so it's really, for me, when I'm looking at these numbers and I'm going, hmm, does this make sense? Now, this hasn't always been the case, uh, but a lot of times I will just say, if we're looking at conversion at maybe a 10 or 12% tax rate, then that's what it's going to cost is 10 or 12% taxes. And we're not going to create a, what's called a torpedo tax, which is it's just too complicated for me to talk about. It's just an, an additional tax on Social Security that comes under the bow or, you know, is unexpected that creates a higher tax rate, higher marginal rate in reality, uh, a higher effective rate. If that's the case, we're down in those lower brackets when we're doing the conversion. It's easier for me to go, yeah, let's go. Let's take the risk and, and, uh, and let's go and do a conversion right now. So I am more likely to do that. And I hope that helps. I mean, it's, it's, I wish it were just cut and dried and super, super easy, uh, Brian, but um, it's not quite that easy. But thank you so much for your question. And it's one of those ones where, you know, that's a planning type of thing. You just want to get in and, and um, do some planning regarding that. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. 
everyone in the office is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Back here. This is the Investor Coaching Show. So there was a little conversation that we were having in our office. We're playing around with the idea of doing a little bit of a curriculum for the website and just short little pieces on topics that I think are important for people from a financial planning perspective. We're looking at, you know, like age in your, in your 30s, finance in your age, uh, you know, handling finances in your 30s. Uh, Michael up in here and has been working on some videos on that. And then maybe have something about in your, in your 40s, you know, things that you need to be considering at various age groups in general. Uh, things in your 60s and so on and so forth. That's what they were talking to me about. And I was just talking about some of them that bridge all of them, like, you know, homeowners insurance. We were talking a little bit about that and, and you know, what to be thinking about. And I says, yeah, it's just really kind of interesting. Homeowners insurance, there was this whole thing talking about uh, homeowners deciding that they were going to forego homeowners insurance. And that was something I talked about a couple of weeks ago and having to do with the level of expense and the increases that are just a lot of these insurance companies, you can't avoid it. You know, what's happening is they're increasing the premiums and you can't just jump from one insurance company to another and necessarily avoid it. And, um, and somebody says, how do you, do you go without one of the, one of the people that was talking to us about it said, you know, handles our, a lot of some of our website and our communications and things like that says, how do you not have homeowners? And said, Isn't that illegal? And I said, well, you know, if you're, let's say you've got a bank loan on your house, the bank is going to require that you have homeowners insurance. You know, so that may be part of your escrow. You're paying your taxes and your insurance bill through that escrow account. But, you know, let's say that you got your house paid off. Nobody's going to tell you you have to have homeowner's insurance on that. Uh, so the reality of it is you could have somebody that just decides to forego it and you go, whoa, that's a huge risk. You know, you have that house burned down. But not only that, you can't even just think about that. You also think about liability insurance. You know, if you're looking at your home, part of your homeowner's insurance policy is not only covering the the house and the structure and the roof and, and all of those things, but also the contents. You know, somebody breaks in, you know, it steals or, or something happens. Let's say, you know, the roof breaks open and smash and then all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, the water coming in and it damages things in your house or, you know, whatever. I mean, a lot of things that can happen. Uh, good grief, if you're a homeowner, you know what I'm talking about. And then you don't have any coverage on it whatsoever. But also, let's say somebody gets hurt on your property. And, you know, all of a sudden now you have a lawsuit and then you're, you don't have any liability insurance on your property because you didn't have any homeowner's insurance. I mean, we, could talk, we could be talking millions of dollars. I mean, who knows? And you just think, oh, I'm just going to do without it. Well, this uh, literally, <laughs> and they were asking, Paul, what do you do? And I said, well, one of the things you can do is look at raising your deductible on your insurance. That's one thing that you can do. Uh, and there's so, you know, well, okay, yeah, you can do that. And we talked a little bit about, you know, having 
coverage changes as far as replacement value and things like that. But typically, you know, that's not the way you're going to do it. And raising the deductible is the normal way that you're trying to reduce your premium. And they were saying here that uh, in this article in the Wall Street Journal, it literally comes out a couple hours later after we were having this conversation. They must have been eavesdropping. Uh, there's a simple way to lower your home insurance bill. It also has risk. There's a, so there's a simple way to lower the home insurance cost. Um, and what is that? And they said raising a deductible. And it says, might be risky if your home is vulnerable to damage from severe weather or natural disasters. And hence, that's really why the insurance companies are raising your premiums. Because if you don't pay those expenses, they've got to pay them, right? And what they're saying here is that, you know, anytime you have some kind of a claim, the deductible is the amount that's going to be paid by you before the insurance kicks in, right? So typical homeowner's insurance deductibles, I've, you see them forever, is like 500 bucks, $1,000. I guess technically you can make the case that you know, if 500 was the rule of thumb for many, many, many years, but $500 doesn't buy what it used to buy, what's the harm in raising it? You know, if, if for example, it takes $2 to buy what $1 used to buy, and your deductible has always been 500, what's the harm in raising it to 1,000? Because it kind of puts you back the way you were from a risk standpoint many years ago, right? Because of inflation. Uh, so, you know, they're saying that people are looking at even higher deductibles, though. You know, some of the new policies are $2,000, $2,500 deductibles. And it's nearly tripled from 2019 to August of 2023, this year. And what they're saying is that, you know, this is one of the few strategies that you can do to actually save some premiums. And they said that at least we can keep the place, you know, covered and keep it within a budget, but there's a risk. You know, you might end up having to pay some of this money out of your own pocket. Well, that's always why we want to have emergency fund money. You know, people ask me, how much do you leave in emergency funds? And I'll tell people, hey, you know, if you're getting up toward retirement, I try to keep up to a year's worth of spending in fixed income savings, you know, something like that. You go way above that, and now you all of a sudden you have all kinds of inflation risk. You know, the dollar depreciating and, you know, the bank is only beholden to give you back what you gave them, not necessarily protect you in purchasing power. You know, so going above that, that's yeah, usually not something that I'm really keen on. But anyway, so if we look at how much you might have in a deductible, oh gosh, if you got literally a half a year and, you know, if you're younger, you'll often hear three, three months to a half a year worth of spending sitting in an emergency fund. Well, if you have that in emergency fund money, then what's the big deal You know, when it comes down to these higher deductibles? It's probably not going to be a big deal. But the problem is that most people do not save that well. And we know that. We look at the research on that and we see how many people are literally one paycheck away from bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, they, they, they're disabled, they're out of work, they're in trouble because they don't save anything. And it's not because income isn't high enough for so many people. And, and what I mean by that is if you take all these different people all you know across America, they have different incomes. If they have different incomes, one at 20,000, one at 30,000, one person making 40, one, one person making 50, or one person making 60, why is it they all end up with zero left over? It's because they're spending everything that comes in. If you make 40, act like you make 30, in other words. You know, so... You know, sometimes people say it's it's income related and it's actually behavioral related. 
And and I, I say that as not a person that doesn't understand what it's like not to make high income. I will never forget my wife and I, we were literally at poverty level in the 1990s because, you know, I was trying, I couldn't stand, I couldn't sell the garbage that the investment industry was trying to make me sell. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And hence my income was very low. And we learned how to live on very, very little. Uh, but it was, you know, was this a struggle? Yeah, but you know, you can do it. Uh, so anyway, what happens here is that people are looking at higher deductibles. And one of the things that I often point out about insurance in general is insurance, when you're looking at insurance, you're insuring that which you cannot afford to lose. So when it comes to what I can't afford to lose, I can't afford, you know, a million dollar liability claim. I probably can't afford to go and pull money out of pocket to buy a new house or build a new house if something happens to the one I'm in. It burns down, gets hit by a tornado, whatever. You know, so you're looking at that. That's the purpose. Now, can I deal with a $2,000 claim if I have to? Yeah. You know, and if you're one of these people that doesn't have a whole lot of money sitting around, it might be hard. It might be difficult, but it doesn't ruin you forever is the idea behind it. You know, so that's what you're insuring. You're insuring that which you can't afford. And that goes for other types of insurance, like disability insurance, life insurance. You know, if I have somebody that's working and they're, they're a breadwinner, and if they're not working anywhere anymore because of a disability or because of death, that's something I want to insure, right? So that's the idea behind these types of insurance is just taking care. And so we take some risk on ourselves and we can put some risk on ourselves, and that would be the deductible for homeowner's insurance, but it would be like your waiting period for disability insurance. So anyway, that's that. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.